Good morning, this is Celeste from Me After Work and our next episode of You Don't Know What You Don't Know. And today we're joined by Manzurul Khan from Kesher Accounting. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much, Celeste. Look forward to it. Um, okay, so Manzurul, you are a chartered accountant. You've been uh, working in accountancy for how long now? Oh, it's about 22 years or so, going back all the way back in the early sort of mid-90s. Mm. My background's marketing and typically we have a love-hate relationship with finance people. <laughs> but you know what, from my experience, when they come together because the minds are so different, that actually can create some really good thinking and and so um, and complement each other. And I remember the first time I saw you years and years ago, maybe five years ago, That's longer, right. six or seven years ago, sure. um, you were the spokesperson at a property night and someone asked you a question, you got up and you stood and you spoke about finance for a long time, it felt like, and I thought, oh my God, this guy, how long is he going on for? <laughs> but there was part of me that was so drawn to it as well. So after the talk, I just was like, I've got to speak to this guy, even though I know he's going to pour the crap out of me, oh, but there was no. something, because the finance, like I wasn't that excited about, but there was something that was, so I was like, I've got to talk to this guy, and I didn't even know what I was going to talk to you about. And then you said, come in and see me. And I was like, okay. And since then, you know, I've got to know you and I've seen, you know, even my perception of people in the finance industry, you've, you've changed that. Once I went into your office and, and you let me in your office, it was a bit dangerous because I go start observing and getting, trying to get a good read on the type of person you are. Sure. And I saw this book called One Earth and I thought, by Eckhart Tolle, and I thought, this is not your typical accountant, okay? This guy is a whole different ball game. So we're so lucky to to have this opportunity to speak to you. Thank you so much. No, thank you, thank you, Celeste. Thank you, Celeste. And and it's amazing because the accountants have very logical mind, right? Quite sort of contra to the creative mind as such. And I say that very often is that I learn from each one of my individual clients and there are bits and pieces that you pick up from everyone as such. And the compliment is the comment that you sort of said, right? So you always want to sort of, I suppose, work with someone who has some level of experience and credentiality, which is a little bit different than you are. Mm. Okay, so the first question is quite broad and quite deep. Does money make you happier? <laughs> From what you've seen, you personally, your clients, just how you see the world, do you think it's, it makes people fundamentally happier? I'll start with a short answer and then I'll go with a little bit of a broader answer. And the short answer is no, it doesn't. And the broad answer is that I suppose what would be the best way to sort of say it, there are fine things in life and there are finer and the finer things in life. And, and one probably says very strongly, the finest of the finest things in life, there is no money attached to it, right? So it's your family. It's, it's your time with the kids. Yesterday, as an example, I picked up my son from the coaching and, and we had a good one hour that we were chatting on different things as such. And to me, there was an absolute gold of a time that we sort of spoke and just trying to sort of speak with a teenager of 16 years old and try to sort of really understand what the teenager sort of says with all the tech and sort of the friends and the peer group pressure, but I loved it, right? Now, how do you value that as, as, as sort of funding side of it? You can't. So the finest of the finest sort of thing that one says that absolutely has potentially no bearing with the money. Um, on the other side of the spectrum is that there are, there are various finer things in life that one says that money is a bit of a media for us to receive those finer things. The question is that whether some of those sort of finer things has an impact to the finest of the things as such. But in the longer period of time, does money make you happy? Look, we've got many, many, many clients. I can give you clients who are very, very, very wealthy in various different ways, various different ways. But at the same time, I sort of see the level of the insecurity, the level of different level of complexity that sometimes funds sort of raises, it's enormous. On the other side of the equation, I suppose I see very often is that people sort of struggling in various different ways, financially struggling, relatively speaking, but I can see the enormous level of the love and the care that they have. A number of clients coming over in my mind, I've got this gentleman as an example, that <clears throat> uh, he's a security officer, 
and uh, his his background is from India, and his wife is 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 a nurse, and her background is from Europe. And I was sitting down with a group the other day, and they were sort of sharing how they got attached in day one, how they got to know each other, how they got married, and the kids, and all the rest of it. I looked into them, and I sort of sat down, and I said, you know what? That is such a blissful life. So no, money doesn't give you all the happiness in the life, and it definitely doesn't. The finest of the things are nothing with money, but I suppose money still is a media where it provides you some of the necessities and whether those necessities has some bearing. Has your relationship with money changed in the, you know, in the last 40 years? So um, maybe give us a bit of background about, you know, when you came, where you're from and when you came to Australia and then that could help us then understand your response to this question is that okay yeah no absolutely absolutely Look, my background is that my parents came over to Australia back in 1993 and I was uh, effectively with my parents and and we came over to Australia with only 2,000 Australian dollar and that is all we had so in day one I still remember my father my father went into this um, this unit that we rented we paid um, $340 as, as two weeks rent, as in advance. We paid $680 as four weeks in bond. And I remember my father said, I've already spent over $1,000 out of the $2,000 that we had. So he, my brother, who, is, uh, who was in year one at that stage, and my mother sort of coming over from Bangladesh was quite a bit of English difficulties and never to be sort of at least in the short to medium period of time being on the employment. So my father was the sole income earner and I was 15, I was 16 at that stage, I was in year 11, so I was not sort of as much as the income owner as well. So my father was the sole income owner. So that is, I suppose, where we started. So where we started in day one, in terms of the funding, in terms of the money side of it, is that there was a lot of necessity in day one. So the luxuries that was quite beyond our imagination in day one to think about it, right? So we started our journey that way. And uh, my view, my father's view, my view was very simple. You work hard and, and you do well in the school and you do well in the uni and, and hopefully the career sort of builds. We've been very fortunate, rolling forward all the way to back in 2018, 2019, very, very fortunate. My father retired a number of years ago uh, and he's doing reasonably well on his own way and financially very, very flexible. From my point of view, financially very, very flexible. So I suppose, how did the money change over time, right? So in day one, it was quite a bit of necessity. In day one, it was a dream. And uh, then once I sort of started working through, once it sort of expanded a bit, We've received a whole bunch of money. The needs and the necessities were fulfilled quite a bit. And that's the that's the time that one sort of takes a step back and one sort of says that, well, what is the difference between we need this as opposed to we want this? And what's the difference in between ambition and greed? And I always sort of remind myself very often saying that ambition is very, very good. We must be ambitious. We all must be ambitious in our own way because that's how we bring in the full credentiality within ourselves. But we never cross that line where we become greedy or perhaps the ambition becomes greed. And very often it comes back to the accountability as such. So everyone has their own accountability and I created a whole bunch of accountability from myself. We've got some strong goals in terms of charitable organisation and, and different level of non-profit organisation, both in the short, medium period of time and definitely in the longer period of time. So money changed over time in the sense that we were fortunate, the needs were met, and perhaps the wants were met to a great extent as well. And this is where, uh, from my point of view, is that I drew a line saying that I've got more than sufficient than what we need and perhaps whether it is the time to re-contribute back to society in various ways. So has the dream changed that it's not necessarily based on a, on a financial goal, but it's based on something else? Like, has your dream changed over the years? Absolutely, absolutely. I, I, I remember that uh, my I speak quite a bit in terms of the dreams and the goals. I speak that uh, we all should have the smart goals, a specific, measurable, achievable, realistic and timely. <laughs> 
And, and, and you know, the first time I sort of sat down and I did my own goals was back in 2005, right? So if you look through my first set of goals in 2005, it was just pure sort of almost pure financial goal. I need to have that many properties, I need to have that much wealth, I need to have that many businesses and so forth. But I suppose with the maturity and you gain, hopefully, you gain a bit more wisdom over a period of time. Right, and then over a period of time, sort of lot more sort of the other goals which have started to sort of come in as part of the goals. So it has changed, and 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 to a great extent, I look back into my finance and I sort of say, you know what, finance is not so much the goals anymore. That's being done. That's being achieved. It's about more the other things that what we can do, and the poetism of it, and the poetism of it is that, in a in a very in a very in a very interesting way, when you sort of say that. Uh, the money is not such an essentiality anymore. The money is being made and money is being achieved. Somehow the money seems to have a habit to be attracted even more. And that's the poetism. That's a good point. <clears throat> what, what, you spoke about ambition crossing the line to greed. When does that happen? And, and, and do you see, um, you know, because you have experience with a lot of people, you spend time with a lot of people, do you, do you see specific patterns or trends that um, predetermine that, the crossover? Because it's a fine line, ambition and greed. It is, it is indeed a fine line. It is indeed a fine line. And I think it's very often, it's the expectation that you create to yourself. And it's very often the, the humbleness and, and, and not to be too, not to be too, I suppose confident about yourself, not to be over sort of a confident about yourself. I say that all along that the table can turn around at any particular day, right? We've been very fortunate where we are. We've been very, very, very blessed where we are. But the mindset needs to be is that all of those things can disappear with the slightest of things going wrong. And when you have that sort of a humble mindset, you always know that nothing is there forever. And when you know that nothing is there forever, you enjoy the journey a lot more. You sort of enjoy the, I suppose, the good things in life a lot more. But when you sort of become overconfident, you've done very well on a particular thing and you've done very well twice or thrice on a particular thing, then if you sort of get habituated with it, saying that, look, I've done very well, that means, well, I'm very good at this. And that's the area the risk sort of comes in over a period of time. So I think it's a bit of an expectation that you create within yourself. And I also say very often it's the accountability to yourself. It's to keep reminding to yourself, very, very important, keep reminding to yourself that your success as a today is not necessarily because of the act that you are doing it today. Your success as a today is most likely because of a whole bunch of good things that you may have done in the past. Your results you're receiving today, the work is being done over the years. So more important question is that whether you're going to be successful in future or not depends on what are you doing today. So it, it is about celebrating the success, but it's not about too much celebrating of the success because whether we're going to be successful or not in future depends on what we're doing today. How do you balance um, just your day-to-day -day in your business? Because finance, you're always looking at the past most of the time. You're looking back into financial year, what's happened, and then or either you're looking forward to future. How do you kind of stay present? It's about, it's about having your goals and having your vision being very clear, right? So life is very relative. And what is sort of present, what is sort of success, what is sort of objective, it all depends on individual circumstances. My fortunate sellers is that I, I have the privilege to sit down with many, many successful people and many people in different, different fields, right? I mean, I sit down with someone who's 18 years old and, and just out of school. And I sit down with someone who's sort of mid-60s and mid-70s and who's sort of done it and anyone in between. I sit down with a whole lot of different professions as such, right? So what I have seen within all of those is that the entrepreneur, the successful, even the people who are very happy on their personal life and may or may not be financially as successful, they've got a certain vision in their mind and they're very clear on their vision. Very often they may not know how to get there, but they know exactly what they wish. They've got a dream 
and they've got a very clarity on that sort of a dream. And, and the people who are sort of more sort of, I suppose, floating are the people who are sort of not as clear on their own goals. Those are the people who sort of tend to sort of struggle. So I say that any level of success, whether it's financial, whether it's family, whether it's personal side of it, whether it is social, whether it is friends or whether it is any other matters, is that it's about knowing in your mind what do you wish in your mind and, and knowing what do you wish that might change over a period of time, right? So how do you stay in the present is knowing in your mind what you are expecting about yourself with the present. Of course, you use the old as a bit of guidance and as, as past, you use the future by reading at other people's story, by listening to the podcast, someone who has gone through the journey. So you can see that, well, someone who was my circumstances has gone through the journey and other 10 years, this other ramification. What are the lessons that I take from it? That's good. The, in the finance industry, especially all the stuff that's happened with the banks, you know, the, the Royal Commissions, actually not just in finance, in a lot of the, sure. the big industries, how do we, you know, how do we know who to trust? Good question. So Good question. even yeah. yourself, I mean, yeah. we walk in, we have a meeting with you. Yeah. How do we know that you're someone that we can, because it's not just money. Yeah, you're exchanging spreadsheets and, you know, your end of financial year statements, but also you're exchanging your vulnerabilities. Of course you are. In a yeah. massive way. So mm-hmm. tell us, who, who do we trust in this industry? <laughs> Give us some very, tips. Very, 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 very good question. Very, very good question. I mean, I might, I might use the analogy of buying an investment property and then, then I'll sort of expand with this. I sort of, how do I buy investment properties? I, as an accountant, I've got a logical mind. So when I sort of look through a particular property, I do a whole bunch of calculation on my own, right? I look into the uh, the cash flow side of it. I look into the potential capital growth. I look into the potential of the manufacturing growth. I look into the rezoning facilities. I look into the rental and the vacancy rate and many, many other things, the cafe culture, infrastructure, you name it. All of those things are important. I look through all of those things. And then the final decision I still make, in my mind, is with my sixth sense. If it sort of says in the back of my mind, you know what, that is it for me, I go with it. And I think that's a really important point in my point of view, is that not to underestimate your sixth sense. Go with your sixth sense. You sit down with someone, you go through with all the due diligence, all the <clears throat> all the sort of the technical due diligence with the person, right? So you take some level of referral. Other people have utilized that particular service. And and what do other people say about that particular service, right? You may do a little bit of Google search and see what the sort of the web says about that particular gentleman as such or the lady. You, you attend to some of the podcasts and so forth and you listen to it. So you do all of your due diligence. But at the same time is that right at the end, go with your sixth sense. Do not underestimate your sixth sense. And if your sixth sense sort of says, you know what, there is something about this gentleman, there is something about this ladies that, ladies that I'm not really sure at this stage, don't go with him for yet. Right? Whereas if, if it sort of says that, well, yes, it seems to be he or she seems to be the right person, you go with it. But at the same time, what I also say, Celeste, so very often, I encourage to all my clients saying that challenge us. Challenge us on an ongoing basis in every single way, right? We must always stay accountable to each other in various different ways. The intention is one thing, and also the action is equally important, right? Yes, I have to have the right intention of doing the right things, but I need to follow that through with the right action as well. So I encourage all my clients to know enough even on the accounting field, so that they can ask the right question. So one thing which we do quite a bit with all of our clients is that we encourage them saying, listen to all of those podcasts and do all those research. Ask me the most difficult of the difficult question that you wish to. Not necessarily we know all the answers. Very often we don't know the answers. More we don't know the answers, more we love it. Right, the clients are loving it, clients are learning it, and we're learning it from our point of view as well. So all of those mindsets are very important. It's the positive mindset, it's the mindset of the abundance, and it's the mindset of no insecurity, and it's the mindset of where your advisor sort of works with you as a team. It's not your fault, Celeste, it's not my fault, Manjuru. It's everything is we work together as a team. The fault is a non-applicable word. Yes, we've got a matter and we just need to resolve that matter. So those are the mindsets that one sort of search. 
Has your sixth sense ever been wrong? Sometimes you get tricked with your sixth sense. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I remember that there was a stage, right, is that, uh, you know, I sort of went up there and I wanted to buy this commercial property and and that's in Parramatta, right? And I went to the um, the with the agent and I said, oh, look, I want to buy this, 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 this. Agent says, that's the asking price. And I sort of provided a certain level of dollar value, right? Saying that, all right, you're asking that particular dollar value and that's my, my sort of the proposal. My proposal was relatively lower, right? And I still remember the agent sort of came back and agent sort of says, you know what, Manchul, maybe this property is not for you. That's okay, because if that is what your budget is, then there are a few other properties that I can show you. And I still remember, I was younger at that stage, right? My sort of ego sort of came in. I was like, what do you mean? This property is not for me. I need to buy this property. I need good. to find a way, right? And I went back and I negotiated all of those. I've done this, 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 this. I ended up buying it, right? And I was like, yes, I did very well. I bought it. Then I got up in the next morning. I was like, hang on. Maybe he's playing the reverse psychology. Yeah. How do I know? <laughs> so, so you know what uh, sometimes yes whether it does sort of trick you but you still go with your sixth sense right because a lot of things we can look through in our hindsight and we sort of say that well in hindsight we should have done this we could have done this we would have done this right but it's not whether it should or could or will, right it's more about I only utilize the hindsight for earning the knowledge the learning lesson behind it is not so much to say what we should have or could have of course, we didn't have the knowledge at that stage of today's knowledge or the experience as such. So your sixth sense at times may or may not be correct, but you take the responsibility of your sixth sense as well, saying that that is the best decision I could have made under the circumstances at that stage, and let's make the best out of it. How many properties do you have, if you're okay to share that? <laughs> I'm being fortunate and I've got a whole bunch of properties in Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne. I was started back uh, in 1999 and uh, 2000 was the only year that I haven't bought any properties and along the way I bought a whole bunch of properties. Uh, number of properties in a way yeah. means number of properties in a way means nothing because I say that very often because you know someone may have five properties and each property has three or four million. I guess what numbers. I'm trying to draw out is um, why you because it's there's a passion here for properties. Sure. Like you know sure. there's something that draws you to it. Sure. How come you you know this is there's property investors and then there's next level property investors and you you, I think you like the, the the whole process of property investing. You know, it's not even a means to an end. It's the journey as well and doing the research and getting the good deal and, you know. So why, how did you find yourself in property investing and why is that a big part of your portfolio? Look, uh, I mean, initially, initially, believe it or not, property investment is something which I didn't want to do. Oh. And this is back in uh, 1999 when I bought my very first property is that uh, it's not me buying it. My father sort of said that, well, you need to buy a property. And I still remember at that stage, I said to my father, is that, no, why would I buy an investment property, right? I mean, investment property always have tenancy issue. The hot water system breaks down and the door breaks down and the carpet changes. I mean, uh, do I really want to spend time in doing all of those? I should be buying shares. Shares are exciting, right? This is someone who's early 20s speaking, right? Shares are exciting. You get up in the morning and you sort of see, I've got a 10% increase. It could be only $100 and 10% on $100, doesn't matter, right? I had a 10% increase. It sounds good. It was a lot more exciting. It was a lot more sort of a thrill. Whereas property is sort of steady. It's sort of a slow. It sort of takes time. My father was the person who was the wise one and sort of says that, look, you need to buy your property. You need to buy your property. So the first property I bought was because my father wanted to. And I still remember that I bought this property and I complained for about a good six months saying that that was absolutely the worst financial decision that I've ever made. Why would I why would I buy property, right? After six months I stopped to some extent. It took my father another two to three months to sort of pick up and saying, we're not having that discussion anymore. I was like, oh yeah, don't worry about it. My father says, what do you mean don't worry about it? How is your property going? I was like, yeah, it's going okay. How is it going? By that period of time is that to my absolute surprise, the prices have increased by 20%. I was fortunate. I just bought it at a point of time when the market was upswing. I had no knowledge. It just happened to have increased. So I looked into it and I said, ooh, 120,000 miles, my first purchase, 
20% increase, which was about 24 grand or so at that stage. And I actually spent about 20 grand as an initial deposit. I was like, well, that's a pretty good return. So over a period of time, one became two, two became three and four and five. In 2005, I had about five properties. So, and five random properties. So that was the point of time that I actually genuinely sat down oh, saying that, why am I buying all this random properties? and uh, genuinely random. So that was the first time that I did my own smart goals and I sort of said, well, from a financial side of it is that what is the target? What do I wish to do? And I'm a big fan of saying that you always go through with the net asset, not as much as the number of properties, right? It's the net asset that we're sort of looking through because it's the net asset as, as, as providing the return that gives you the ultimate sort of the retirement sort of your your um, your means as such so I sat down I derived a goal saying that these are the number of properties that's the net asset that I would like to achieve and over a period of time it just sort of expanded and expanded and expanded what's your dad say now when you're giving talks on property investing <laughs> my mum and dad says now that you've done enough and you should be now spending more time with your family <laughs> and how much more do you need Manzaro? <laughs> And I said, well, you created the monster and you want the monster to stop now. <laughs> <laughs> they said buy a couple and then you went for it. <laughs> yeah, that's um, what's, what's some advice you can give someone that is thinking about property investing or, you know, has a, you know, their normal day-to-day -day job? Why is property investing, you know, what, a, what opportunities does it present? Yeah, look, uh, it, it, the first comment which I'll probably say is that I'll take myself even even sort of outside the property investment. I'll sort of say that you always follow your passion, where your interest is, where your passion is. And that could be any investment, where your passion, where your interest, and then where your knowledge is. Your knowledge will follow from your passion and the interest. And if you don't have the passion and the interest, you don't spend the time, the knowledge doesn't follow, right? So that's very important. Now, once we have the passion and, and sort of the interest and the knowledge, that could be any investment field. I mean, I personally have no issue in terms of the shares and the managed funds and the listed funds and all the rest of it. I personally don't have any investment simply because I don't understand enough I've got a number of my clients who have done very, very well on different other fields. I stayed with property because this is sort of, I gained a bit more passion over a period of time, the knowledge is sort of followed through. So I stayed with this. So that's the very first point that I would sort of say that with the sort of the property investment side of it is that you follow your passion as such. Now, once you sort of follow your passion, the second comment which I'll say is fundamental, that it's all about the knowledge, it's all about the knowledge, it's all about the knowledge. I remember back in 2005 when I sort of sat down my first set of goals saying that I want to achieve all of those is that I genuinely did not know how to achieve any one of those, right? Many of the bias agencies were not there in those days. You didn't have many of the podcasts. This is like the old ancient 205, right? So you didn't have any of those. Many of the magazines were not there in those days as well. So the knowledge was not anywhere near to that available back in 2005. But in my mind, when I sort of say that, look, I want to achieve this, I didn't know how to achieve it, but I had a very clear set goal saying that that's what I want to achieve. And I said to myself quite simply is that, well, if that is what I want to achieve, I don't know how to achieve it, what's the gap? The gap is very simple, is that go and learn. So I started reading. So there were books in those days, right? So you had authors such as said, Margaret Lomas and Robert Kiyosaki and Steve McKnight and Michael Iarni, Peter Span, many other authors in those days. I read everything that I could find in day one. And I found that the first couple of books that I read, I was like, well, you know what? I know how to do it. And then when I read five or six or seven, I said to myself, I'm confused. Everyone seems to be doing it in a little bit different way. So he does it in a different way. She does it in a different way. He does it in a different way. And they all seem to be successful in their own way. Then I said, I'm confused. What do I do? Then I said, well, I better keep reading. And I was reading and I was reading and I was reading and I was reading. And then over a period of time, I found that there is no one way of doing it. There is no one way of doing it. There are multiple different ways of doing it, right? And what is the right way of doing it depends on your individual circumstances, on your individual goals, your individual preferences, and where you sort of stand, where you see yourself. Everything is relative. So th those are the comments that I'll say. Number one is, is, is follow your passion. 
follow your heart. I'm a big fan of saying follow your passion, follow your heart. Follow that through with a lot of hard work in terms of your knowledge gaining and in terms of doing the background homework, so to speak. Don't rush into it. Go into the investment when the time is right and go with the flow to some extent and wonderful of things happens. You know, you talk about goal setting. Do you think, I've never asked this question, so I don't know even even if you're going to be able to answer it. Do you think the goal finds you or you find the goal? Very, very good. Very good, very good. Very, very good Because sometimes we can formulate goals that we think we want, but then as life pans out, you don't want that goal and you don't even know why you set it and how misaligned it is to your own personal values. You know, the two points. I'm a big fan of saying that you focus your energy as much as you can within one particular sort of a field initially and then let that field to sort of expand, change, formulate over a period of time. So it's all about goals to me are more sort of focusing your energy as such. The other comment which I want to say quite a bit is that I'm a big fan of a big fan of dreaming. Big fan of dreaming, right? A very often lots of lots of lots of lots of things happen is that when we start with a dream. So we dream quite a bit, right? I'm a big fan of saying you need to dream first. You need to believe in your own dream as such. And then you need to act for it. So it's about the dream. It's about the belief. It's about acting on the belief as such. And the goals very often is that it is something to start with. But not necessarily it needs to be in concrete. It must not be in concrete. I look back in my initial goal in 2005. The goals changed in 2007, 2008. And the goals changed again in 2010, changed again in 2012 and 2015. The goals seem to be keep changing all the time. So what's the point of the goals then if it keeps changing? Like you start with the base. And the and ga- base is the goal. Base is the goal. What if you didn't? And you don't, it's hard to answer this question because yeah. you never have not. Sure. But what if you didn't have the goal and it just flowed as it, do you think you'd be? Yeah, good question, good question, good question. And, and this is probably the mind of a sort of a logical mind comes in of a, as, 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 as I well as I speak about this from mind. my own experience. No, 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 very good question, very good question. And, and, and maybe, maybe there are ways, maybe there are people who sort of leave their minds sort of floating and things sort of comes in as such, right? In my personal circumstances is that I found is that if I sat down, if I sort of strategize in a certain way and then still leave my mind open, within that sort of a defined parameter, so to speak, I find that there is a structure. Perhaps it's the structured mind. So do you think sometimes that the goals could make us feel safe? Good question. Good question. Good question. I hear it. Whether it gives you a sense of achievement, or whether it gives you a sense of purpose, whether it gives you a a sense of, I suppose, a journey, as long as it doesn't come in as a sense of burden right mm. so sometimes I sort of sit down with sort of people as well my my clients at times I sort of sit down saying Manjul I set up my goals I need to buy three properties in this year and for me to do this I'm doing this 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 and I see that it comes in even at a sacrifice of your lifestyle it comes in with a sacrifice of things that we they want to do as such and I'm a big fan of saying that you know you, you got to have your goals you got to have your journey and so forth but you still need to have fun along the way so goals are important, but not so much all-encompassing, where you do not have any space to have a little bit of fun. So are you having fun in your whole life? I love what I do. I love what I do, and I genuinely, genuinely, genuinely love what I do. I think I'm living an enormously privileged life. And, and I hear that question all the time that, well, uh, what is the motivation? Uh, I mean, I work crazy hours, but I don't think I work crazy hours. It's the hours that I sort of have fun as sort of crazy fun. And sometimes it's very hard to sort of explain. And, and what's the motivation, right? I mean, in my personal life is that I get to meet a whole bunch of people in different, different spectrum, different skills, different experience. And it's just having to meet all those different people in different caliber, 
right? I'd be sitting down with a chairman with say 150 odd sort of a staff member and discussing the most most sort of complicated of the complicated matters. I'd be sitting down with a very logical auditor and then I would be sitting down with someone who's said 23 years, 24 years and sort of still sort of finding out all their sort of wishes as such, right? So all those different groups of people that you sort of see. And to me, the biggest bit of the fun is that just meeting with different people and seeing the different perspective, seeing the journey of different perspective of different groups of people, and in one sense of form being part of that journey. Now, that's a privilege that I want yes. to continue much as we have an opportunity. How do you separate your beliefs and your values from the conversation with the client? Yeah. Because that's quite challenging, you know? It is, it is, it is. Very, very, very important that when you come in in a client meeting is that you always come in with an as much fresh perspective as you can with no sort of a pre-bias and, and not with a pre-solution. So sometime in the client meeting when we over plan, that doesn't come in as a positive, it comes in more, more as a retrospective as such. So any of our clients, as an example, first meeting when we sit down, I actually come in with absolutely no sort of a pre-decision. I sit down and I sort of say, the initial meeting are three, three steps. Step number one is a bit of a fact finding. So there's what do you do? What's your profession? What's your income and expense? And your assets and liabilities. Step number two, I said, Silas, what are your goals and objectives? What are the priorities from your point of view? What are the things that you wish to do? Once I sort of get to know you in step one, which is fact finding, and get to know your sort of dreams and your goals and your objectives, which is a step two, only then in step three I speak. So while I'm sort of listening to the two third of the conversation as such, is that you are the one who is directing my mind. Now that's very, 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 very important that you are the one who's sort of directing the mind. So you need to sort of come in with that fresh perspective. But you know what? We all have our biasness, right? And we all have our biasness and the biasness does come in to a great extent. So you need to be keep reminding to yourself as an advisor that yes, that is how I've done it and it worked out in my circumstances. It worked out in a number of my client's circumstances, but it doesn't mean that it will work out on this individual. You always go with, one is a fresh perspective, two is an open mind, and you always give something as a benefit of the doubt, right? And what I say to my client very often is that my role as an accountant is not so much to say that, Celeste, you must do this or you must not do this. My role as an accountant is to give you as much information as I can. So it's all about Celeste wants to do step one, and my role is to say what are the positive and what are the negatives of that is step one. So you can take away that sort of the actual sort of the concrete of the information and you sort of pick and choose what suits you within that information and make the decision on your circumstances. So, so there is a sense of accountability in your mind and sort of re-reminding us that we must not be biased, but also at the same time the steps sort of assist. When the steps are, the client tells you these are the things which are important and then your answers are being derived on the basis of the question as opposed to the other way around. Is there any clients that you wouldn't work with? I've got many, 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 many beautiful, 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 beautiful clients. I struggle with, I struggle with, I suppose, individuals and personalities when uh, the sense of ethics is questioned, the sense of integrity is questioned, uh, I suppose, loyalty is questioned. Uh, anything which is slightest out of the rule and slightest out of the straight bat, and I always use that term that we always play straight bat, slightest out of the straight bat perhaps is not for us. So there are a number of clients over the years that we had to politely move ourselves out of it, and, and we, we politely moved ourselves out of it because the ethics and principles were different. So it is very, very important that there are certain level of ethics and principles and, and it needs to sort of correlate with that ethics and principle. Um, can you give us some advice on how to have a great relationship with your finance advisor or your accountant? Because how can the client get the most out of that relationship? Yes, you're providing a service, but it's mutual. Yeah. You know, it's a mutual relationship. So. If it's me, how can 
how can what can I do to get the best out of this relationship? And the reason why I ask is I always bring it back to my experience working with a personal trainer. Yes. You know, if the personal trainer doesn't really like you, they're not yes. going to give. They're not going to want to see you. They're not going to yes. want to show up. They're not going to want to be there and enjoy the moment with you. Yes. So, what's the advice? Because yes. it's a two-way relationship, and if it feels good for both parties, yes. then they're going to want to stay there, and they're going to maximize that. Hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred percent. I think it's the mutual respect, Celeste. Right. So it's the mutual respect is what we start with first. Absolutely mutual respect. And sort of number two is the mutual respect of each other's time. So any professional, we all are. In the modern world, there is only one thing which we don't have really is the time, right? Everything else, yes, we can work for it, we can thrive for it, but time is something which we don't have. So when you value someone's time, when you do not spend unnecessarily of someone's time, when you provide to your advisor saying, you know what, I've done all the basic ground level of the work to the best of my abilities and this is where we are, uh, that probably is a start in my mind. I think the other thing is that with the right sort of the advisor is that when you can somehow challenge each other in a very constructive way, uh, the right advisor loves it. And, and loves it quite a bit. So that's that's sort of as a start. Now the other thing is that the, again going back to the previous question, that the good human being is important to us. When we sort of see someone who's genuine, someone who's sort of absolutely genuinely sort of wants to do something, that sort of gives a bit of an inspiration as well, right? So it's about also sharing your dream with your with your advisor. It's not that you only see your advisor just to do your tax return and just to make a little bit of wealth for yourself, that you've got a purpose to it. So to give you an example, I've got a gentleman who's an electrician and this uh, gentleman, very young, young couple, husband, wife with one kid, done very well over the years, bought few properties and so forth, done very, very, very well. The gentleman came in the other day saying, Mandrill, you know what, I've got a lot, lot, of, lot of wealth, I've done very well, uh, it's enough for me to sort of look after myself. I think it's the time that I want to contribute quite a bit to the wider society. I want you to help me out to create this charity that I want to involve a bit more with the charity and the charity doesn't need to be on my name. I want to contribute, I want to do this, I want to do this. Now that to me is quite exciting. It too is quite exciting because he's giving away quite a bit to the society. So his level of integrity, his level of respect has increased quite a bit in my mind, right? So it's about being genuine. And I say that very often, right? So there is being genuine, that means you work on yourself to become more and more and more and more genuine or try to be genuine or you try to pretend to be genuine. And it's really, you can't, you can see if someone's pretending. In the longer period of time, you can't. So you don't even worry about pretending. You just purely work on yourself saying that, how can I be consistently and constantly over a period of time more and more and more genuine from our point of view? And people will see through the value. What are you, what are your dreams now? <laughs> I, my financial dreams are being achieved and achieved and uh, this is something you're asking me in the open while I only share that on a personal basis. I did set up a dream for myself a number of years ago saying that in 2025 um, I will establish my own charity and there would be a certain amount of my wealth will purely go into that charity and I will look after that sort of charity, whether it is some level of part-time role initially and then over a period of time we'll sort of see how we go. Um, what's the purpose of the charity? I sort of looked through and I said, I'm a big fan of education. So potentially in the field of education that I want to work, I'm a big fan of health. So potentially in some of the some of the countries of needs in terms of the health side of it. So those are the two areas that I do want to sort of do. So that's definitely is one of my goal, one of my dream. My other dream is is very personalized dream. I sort of say that if I look back instead of a longer period of time, I look back into my life and I sort of say that, well, whether he was successful, whether he was a right life is is few question that I have in my mind. Is question number one is that did I have fun? Did I have adventure? Did I do all the things or at least try to do all the things that I wanted to do? Do I have any bucket list? So those are the questions that need to be answered in the right way. More importantly, the question in my mind needs to be answered in the right way is that are my kids. Have I really, really, really looked after my kids? Are they being brought up as good human beings? Are they arguably not more successful than I am? 
and on the basis of how they're being brought up to me that's my own sort of criteria that whether I've done okay or not. And number three is the charity. Just with the parenting, how do you balance um, not giving your kids everything because you're quite comfortable financially and creating or nurturing good human beings and not being greedy? You know, how do you find that balance? Because you grew up in a different place to their growing up. Absolutely. Uh, and, and you know what's the less It is a struggle. Is it trial uh, and error or is it, you it's know? It's a trial and error and it is a struggle. Even with a trial and error, it's a struggle because they... I was born in Bangladesh, right? I mean, in Bangladesh is that it, we had nothing absolutely where we were being born and brought up. And so education was always very important to us. But wealth and money was, we didn't have it. We just didn't have it, even even the wildest of it, right? Whereas the kids are being brought up in, in Australia, number one, and they're being brought up in here and, and, and they've got Aussie friends and they see the Western countries, so to speak, right? So it is, it is definitely a struggle. And because we financially do reasonably okay there is a certain level of assumption how do we keep them grounded and how do we keep ourselves grounded I think how do we keep ourselves grounded is more important question and the reason why it is is that kids are very often they follow their parents right so it's number one for us to stay grounded and that is previous my Purvi and myself us to stay grounded from our point of view us to stay humble us to stay into that sort of Yes, we live a comfortable life, but we don't need to overdo anything. We can in various ways, but can doesn't mean we should. And kids follow that to a great extent. It's the action as opposed to the words. That's number one. Number two, what we do do is that um, we travel quite a bit. And every time we travel quite a bit, we actually try to go away in different places and try to show them the other side of the perspective. We try to give them the experience that this is where we came in, this is where we came in, this is where we came in. So I think it's... Very often at a young age, it's about the communication with the kid, but it's also about uh, leading by example of the life that you live. I was going to talk about travel. You've travelled so many places. <laughs> Just tell us one, you know, one or two of your travel experiences that actually changed you, like you came back seeing the world differently. Many experiences because believe it or not, I travelled over 50 odd countries over the years and I've been travelling for the last 15 years, 18 years. If there is one passion that I have, one passion, it's the travel, it's the travel, it's the travel. It doesn't need to be expensive travel, it could be any travel, right? And any places. And, and, and the reason I love the travel is because it gives you the wider perspective. It gives you a culture and a vision and a society and the circumstances that perhaps you've never thought of living in a country where you are as such. So I'm a big fan of travel. And there are so many examples, right? I mean, I go back to all those different countries like Rome and Madrid and Paris and Venice and all the different countries, right? I go back to a little bit more creative countries, say Jordan, some of the Asian countries, Israel, Palestine, many places that we went. One example, I went to, uh, and no disrespect, it's a learning, right? I went to uh, Cuba. And Cuba is a country that I sort of went there and I sort of came back from Cuba and I personally, absolutely pure personalised opinion and I may be totally wrong in my opinion, right? But I came back from Cuba and I was very sad. Cuba is a country where there are years after years of socialism and communism and what I found from that country is the lack of entrepreneurship. Because it is a communism, it is a socialism country as such, I could see that there was no entrepreneurship from the people because it doesn't exist, because the government gives you all the basic needs, the food and the and the education and sort of your house and the car. So government gives you a house, you can't buy any more hope, right? Government gives you a certain level of food, government gives you a certain level of clothes and education, but your income is very, very, very limited, right? So I suppose to a great extent, the want is being taken away from people. The need is being provided. The want is being taken away. And that want is the dream. So I came out from Cuba and I sort of felt very sad in my mind, saying that, well, this is an example with all the right intention. I'm sure that the society created all the right intention of looking after everyone with the communism side of it. But the end result seems to be very different to Western country where it is a fair go. You work hard and you can achieve all those different things in your life, right? 
so that's an example which sort of which sort of reiterated in my mind in terms of how important of the dream is on an ongoing basis dream 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 is very important second example you asked too so second example is that i remember that i went to macau many years ago right and i went to macau and i've sort of seen that well there's all those big sort of casinos and pubs and big casinos right and it's a society uh, again personalized view right but it's a society which seems to be everyone sort of being based around that casino right because that's the mm. fundamental sort of the income source and and it's amazing and coming in from an external fresh perspective someone who never gambles someone who never drinks so to me it was very interesting place because i see from the outsider's perspective such a beautiful country macau and so same as cuba such beautiful country right and people are beautiful people in there but when everyone is to a great extent either reliant on gambling or providing some services which are in gambling or providing some services which provide services to the gambling in one shape or form everything is being around that gambling i struggle to see where is the soul so i came back from that sort of a country and i say you know what soul is important so i've learned the dream from cuba and i learned the soul from macau and what what does soul mean to you soul means what are the what are the things that we wish to do life is not all about the money life is really not all about the success life is not about how many properties you have and how much asset you have you know what all those things maybe there is an essentiality to it because that's how the society sort of works but life is to me about adventure life is to me about things that you wish to do give it a go give it a go if that means that you just decide that look i'm going to sit around and just read a couple of books over the weekend you do that if that means that you want to do something adventurous you do that but it is about what you wish to do as such as opposed to as opposed to being confined and being restricted and not knowing what you can potentially do to me having not being utilizing your ultimate potential or giving it a go it's such a waste and sometimes if you don't know how to dream you don't know what you're missing mm. that's good got my next question. <laughs> I've lost in the lost in the dream. Um just before we go, yeah. Just give you know you one or two pointers to people either who've just come to Australia. Yep. Um or who are starting out um whether it's their career or their business or they've had some failure and they they're trying to, you know, get back in the game. Like what's your What's some words or some direction from your experiences and the different people that have you seen that can help them? Fantastic. Um, I'm big, 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 big fan of self-education and continuous education and continuous learning. And initially, not to bound your learning with one set of learning. Read anything. Read anything and literally everything. and when you read anything and literally everything listen to anything and literally everything and when you read and listen you would eventually find things which attracts you things which are your passion read more on that passion and read more and more and more and more and more on this sort of passion be the very best that you can in your own field and that could be any field be the very best that you can on your own field as such is is probably the very first thing that i would probably say to anyone take responsibility on sort of your sort of own sort of dreams and sort of goals and objectives that to me is 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 important as well and at the same time you know what have a little bit of fun as well have a little bit of fun and enjoy it and and things will come are you sure you're an accountant i <laughs> know <laughs> oh, no. um thank you so much for today no, it's been thank great you. thank you so much it was great thank you very much